Good morning. Good morning. So we're going to start off a little bit different this morning. We have a congregational questionnaire that I put together. Go ahead and pass those out, guys. Uh, so if you're just visiting, don't worry, don't sweat it. If you want to keep one to take a look at. If you're a regular member here, it's also voluntary. What we're trying to do with this is just try to get a general gauge or guideline of congregational feelings and sentiment related to how we're doing relationally, connecting to each other and with each other. How are we doing with that? I'm using some of this information. Uh, I will be the only one seeing it. When you're done taking the survey, you just put it face down, leave it on the chair. Uh, a chair, or you can pass it to the ends of the aisle, or you can give it directly to me. Uh, I'll keep these locked away in my office. I'm using some of this for my doctoral project, and six months from now, we will retake this survey and try to see if we perceive any changes that have taken place in some of what we have planned coming this fall. I'll talk more about that at the end of our time. So, if you have the questionnaire in front of you. It's 19 questions. I'm going to read through them real quickly. How well do people of this congregation know you and your life story or faith journey? You would circle one if you think not at all, or you circle 10 if you think people know your life story very well and journey. Do you have a deep sense of belonging to this church body? Again, one would be not at all, and ten would be yes, very much. Number three, do you think this is a loving church? Is this a warm and inviting place? Number four, do you feel like this is a healthy church, where things are generally heading in a positive direction? Number five, do you feel like this church has helped you understand your spiritual gifts and helped you connect to meaningful work where you use your gifts? Number six, if you are in need, do you feel like there are people at church with whom you can share your deepest concerns? Number seven, are there people at church who you can trust with confession Share, sharing the highs and lows of your spiritual journey. Number eight, if I were to face some kind of crisis in my life, I know that my church family would be there for me. Number nine, I have been discipled or mentored by members of this church who have invested deeply in my life. Number 10, do you feel like the leadership of this congregation has guided you well? Number 11, members of this congregation visited me at home or out someplace. Number 12, would you be open to friends from church visiting you more often? In or out? 13, how often have you been invited into other members' homes or out for a meal? Number 14, outside of regular scheduled meetings, meeting times, how often do you interact socially with other church members? 
Number 15, have you found ways to express hospitality to other members or visitors of this church? Number 16, have you gone to visit other members, visitors, or the sick of this church? Number 17, this is kind of just fill in your thoughts here. Outside of regular church meetings, what are you doing? Or what are your other spiritual practices and routines? How much time do you spend in prayer or Bible study every week? And then finally, number 19, how are you intentionally investing in helping others in their spiritual journey through a discipling or mentoring relationship? Basically, in what ways do you help others? So if you're just visiting, thank you for enduring that. I know that's kind of not normal and and different, but we're hoping to get better at the things that we're trying to do at this church. And so one of the things that we have been discussing last week, and we are in this week as well, or we're continuing a little short series that I've done, is Becoming the Lord's Church. Next week, we will jump back into John's Gospel, John chapter 18, where things are kind of wrapping up and coming to a culmination of all the teaching that Jesus has had and and, and what his life is going to be poured out for the benefit of many. But one of the crucial questions that we were asking last week and then are getting into this week again is this. How do we grow our capacity to love better? Isn't that not a central question that the church needs to ask? Is that not a central question that every human life should ask? How do we grow our capacity to love better? So I left you last week with several critical issues. What's your next step? Making time and seeking simplicity. What is your next step in making time for what is truly important? And then in regards to seeking pleasure. Pleasure is a great thing, but if they get out of order, they can cause a lot of distraction. What pleasures are becoming an idol that you need to put back into proper boundaries and perspective? And then aversion to suffering is kind of related to that. What are you running from? And who has God put in your path, in your network of relationships, that you should be entering into uh, sharing the burdens of their life? Shadow boxing, I called it. What strongholds of selfishness and sin and pride do you need to wage war against? What defects of your character may God be inviting you to confront? So those are some of the central questions I left you with last week. And some of it kind of felt like kind of heavy, the tone of it. And, uh, you know, some of it's just me. I was on vacation and I think about these things and I come back and I'm like, yeah, here you go. And, uh, you know, preachers, we do that kind of stuff sometimes. But it's all from this motivation of deep and abiding love. Love that is available for us. So some, some of you could be thinking, you know, the should-dos is what Calvin was doing last week. Calvin was whacking us with all the should-dos. You guys know what the should-dos is. But really, everything I said was spoken out of this love. The should-dos uh, are the things that we should do. 
that we don't seem to have enough strength or time left over to do, and a lot of us feel... A lot of us feel the burden of that. We feel crushed under the burden of all the things that we should be doing, that we can't seem to find the time and energy and will to actually do. So if your hypothetical takeaways from last time were, uh, you know, about making time, Calvin says we need to go to church more often, about seeking pleasure. Calvin says we need to stop trying to have such a good time, about suffering Calvin says we need to be more content to be miserable about shadow boxing. Calvin says we are not good enough and we need to do things better. If that's what you heard, you didn't really hear me. (laughs) Because all of the good opportunities to grow that God gives us, even the work of it, it's all for our benefit. It's all for our good And as we enter into this relationship of love with the Lord, all of the should-dos that seem to weigh us down, He gives us the ability to accomplish them. He gives us the ability to set them aside. He He gives us the ability to focus on what really, truly matters. Matthew 11, Jesus says these words, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is, in fact, the way that we enter into rest. It's in taking on the yoke of Jesus Christ and working together with Him. So last week, we talked about our capacity for love, growing our capacity for love. Love, it takes time. We have to make time for relationships. If you don't, the fruit of it, it's not going to be there. Second, you don't have to be a slave to your pleasures. We don't always have to have and get our own way. And then third, we are called to uncomfortable places sometimes as a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's okay. You will find love there. You will find comfort in new ways there. You will find unimaginable pleasure in new ways there. The faith of Jesus, his confidence in God, it took him into a lot of uncomfortable places. And then finally, we should never give up the fight against sin in our life. And the reason for this is sin, when we let it be there, when we let it consume us, when we let it corrupt us, it really does destroy our capacity to love God and love ourselves and love each other well at all. So as I've been thinking about this question of how do we grow our capacity to love better, the things I want to talk about this week are these things. We grow our capacity of love to love by having a vision of what life can be like together with God. If your vision is strong enough, it'll take you places that you wouldn't go otherwise. Obligations don't take us very far. Love will take you a whole different distance. So another thing that grows our capacity for love is obedience. Love grows from our obedience to God. That's counterintuitive 
As Americans, as Westerners, as educated people, we don't like this idea of obedience and submission. But if you do it, it grows your love. Desire, desires rightly channeled are a source of strength and grow our love. I'll spend most of my time talking about this because desires typically have gotten a bad rap in the church. Desires are a good thing. You don't want to try to live life without desires. Mission, doing the things that are close to the heart of God will grow your capacity to love as well. That makes sense. God enjoys investing himself missionally into other people. He enjoys expressing himself creatively. And uh, he enjoys beauty. And uh, to the extent that we are able to join him in that and learn the heart of God, our capacity to love, it grows through those things. Cultivation of virtue The fruits of the Spirit are actually attributes of love. Uh, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. If you invest in those things, it will help your love grow. Finally, exercising your spiritual gifts. Not in the sense of head knowledge, I know something about myself, but in actually putting legs on love. When we put legs on love and actually do those things, it grows our capacity to love. So I think there's a lot others. This is just my list that I came up with, me and just praying with the Lord, help me figure this out. And as I reflected on these things, this is what I came up with. So you might think it's bonkers, you might think it's brilliant. I don't really care, but I do care that you try to reflect on these things and see, is there some truth in this? Is there something I can take away out of this? All right, so another crucial question that we have to ask ourselves when considering love is, you know, there are a lot of ways that we define love. So we need to ask, what is love and what isn't love? It's confusing for people, but love typically we refer to as a feeling or even a desire. Love is not a desire for the Christian. It is to will the good of others. We say, I love chocolate cake, but really we just want to eat it. We love something or someone when we promote its good for its own sake. This is agape love. It's not manipulative. It's not possessive. It is willing that good for another. And that willing, it's based where? Not in the feelings. Feelings come and go. It's based in the will. And God helps us accomplish that. The idea that God loves us and that God expects things from us are not mutually exclusive. See, love is not indulging whims until you are a complete narcissist, indulging until you become the self stuffed full of the self. This is all about me. And I've got to get my own. And if I've got to stomp on a few throats, okay, so be it. They got in my way. We know what that's like. We know what the temptation of that is like, even. We know the burden that is like when people treat us that way. Love is rooted in the will. All right, let me get into desire now. You know, we are created with these desires. Sexual desires, appetites, uh, compulsions, desires for safety and protection, a desire to be free from 
negative things like shame or uh, a desire to be valued, a desire to be loved. Desires are a wonderful and good thing, rightly used. And a lot of times people have perceived the Christian life to be about purging ourselves of desire. We got to get rid of these desires, just cut them off, Present, pretend they don't exist so that we can be utterly stoic and completely boring. But historical faith in Christ at its very best is not about squelching desire, but redirecting all desire to feed our love, the will of good for another. And what this means is that we channel our desires in ways that we do not allow them to be harmful to other people and we do not allow our desires to be harmful to ourselves. You see, when our desires get out of control, things turn ugly. Bilbo Baggins helped us understand that. Desires out of control, they turn a little ugly, don't they? We see things in ourselves we don't like to see. When we try to live out a life with ourself as God and our personal desires is the most important thing there is, it destroys our life, doesn't it? For example, I'm told, this is about desire just out of control. I'm told, uh, I've been working with a few people who really have a burden for a ministry to work with sex trafficking. And uh, they were telling me about how uh, a lot of the trafficking that goes on in the I-5 corridor, it moves north and south in response to sporting events and large venues for concerts and things like that. In the dead of night, women and others will be transported north and south I-5 in response to where the demands are of sporting events. And uh, how it must grieve the heart of God to watch his children do evil and destroy each other with the desires that he himself has gifted to us that we take and in turn pervert. How it must sadden him. Uh, interesting book that I was reading on my ba- uh, break, Falling Upward. In the Western world, it seems we cannot build prisons fast enough or have enough recovery groups, therapists, or reparenting classes for all of the walking wounded in our very educated, religious, and sophisticated society, which has little respect for limitations and a huge sense of entitlement. This book, he goes on to talk about father wounds that we carry, about having the loss, generations now, a loss of strong spiritual leadership in the family, spiritual motherhood, spiritual fatherhood. So in talking about these wounds, these father wounds that we have, uh, the author of this book says this, and this is some of the fallout of, of, of families without strong spiritual leadership, without the fathers taking the spiritual role they were meant to take, without mothers taking the spiritual role that they were meant to take. No one taught them the necessary impulse control and delay of gratification, which is the job of a good parent, with poor identity, weak boundaries, or little inherent sense of their own dignity. 
They allowed themselves to be destroyed and to destroy others by drugs, promiscuity, addictive relationships, alcohol, violence, or abuse. Learning and gaining wisdom in how to direct our desire. How to use our desires to actually grow in love and become safe and good for other people. Using our desire to leverage that to grow closer in our relationship with God. Using our desire and God-given passions to do the work of the kingdom of heaven. That is indeed, figuring it out is indeed the grand adventure of the Christian life. It's not drudgery. It's not boring. It's alive and dynamic and the stakes are real and they are high. Paul has some good wisdom that I wanted to bring in on all of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, Everything is permissible for me. That's quoting other people. But not everything is beneficial. People say, everything's permissible to me. I can do whatever I want. But he says, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food. But God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Everything is permissible. Everything everything is allowed. But realize not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. In Galatians 5.13, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Serve one another in love. And this is a radical idea that Scripture presents to us. The idea that the purpose of freedom is not self-indulgence, but service to others, that's fundamentally at odds with what is generally taught in this culture. Where freedom is all about my desires being met and doing whatever I want. The freedom that the Bible teaches and presents to us is the freedom to take up a cross. It's the freedom to become like Jesus. It's the freedom to enter into other people's pain and brokenness to be with them in the dark. That is the freedom that we're called to, and it's counterintuitive. But that kind of freedom has the power to change reality and change this world. If you use your freedom to serve others, you will discover the truth of this. As I use my freedom to choose to serve others, to sacrifice my own pleasure and desire, it's not about not having pleasure and desires. Sometimes it's about delayed gratification. It's about choosing greater gratification with other things sometimes. When I surrender that to the cross of Christ and I invest in my brothers and sisters, it grows 
both our desires and our freedom. It grows our love. See, God, he's not a cosmic Grinch trying to rob you of your desire. That's not what God is like. He's the one who gave you the desires in the first place, whatever they are. He is the one who gives each and every one of us the ability to joy, enjoy anything, anything. And James says, every good and perfect gift is from above. It's not the devil who gave you sexual pleasure. It's not the devil who made food so enjoyable. These are things from God that he gives to us, that he wants us to enjoy, that he expects us to learn how to use well in a way that doesn't harm us or others, but blesses, that blesses. The psalmist says it this way, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself. I delight myself in you. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. As you do this, you discover that the Lord, he does become your one desire. Commit your ways to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. May he give you the desire of your heart and make your plans succeed. That's the heart of our Lord. That's what he wants. The difficulty with desire is not, is not that we have them. But what they can do to us when we get our desires out of order. When we let lesser desires dictate the path and trajectory of our life. If God is your belly, your belly will destroy you. But if you put it in its proper place within proper boundaries, it can actually lead you to a place of thanksgiving and greater desire for God. Jesus talks about the priority of our desires. Uh, one place I saw it rather clearly was what his teaching was in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things. They'll be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So three things I want, to re- want you to try to remember about desire. First, our desires are given to us by God, and they are a gift from God, and He means for us to learn how to use our desires well. They're a source of passion. They're a source of energy. They're a, that great good can come out of our desires. Second, your desires come in layers. Try to figure out the desires that lay behind the more surface desires that you have. I'm hangry. All I can think about is this next meal. And That's a more surface desire. Behind that are layers of desire related to my own comfort. Under those uh, layers of desire about my own comfort are uh, questions of security. Under those layers of desire for security, there are questions of, is God safe and can I trust him to take care of what I think I need? 
There's layers. There's layers in our desire. Number three, rightly ordered and funneled, our desires can actually grow our capacity to love. Now let me talk about another one we typically misunderstand. One is desire. Another is obedience. We hate the idea of obedience. But it's really given to us as such a blessing. So a couple thoughts. How do we enter into greater obedience? Sometimes it's just thrust upon us. God shows himself beautiful to some of us sometimes. Mystical experience, a vision of God that is so good and so beautiful that it truly becomes your one true love. When it gets in your heart, you say words like Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do thy will, O my God. I delight to do your will. It's when you know it's in there. When obedience to him no longer, it doesn't sound like the burden that we used to think it was. We don't arrive there all in one jump. But sometimes a circumstance will happen in our lives and God shows himself in wondrous beauty. And the beauty of that changes everything. But that's not, that's not typical for all of us. Another thing that helps us enter into greater obedience is, what is your perception of God? Is he a cosmic taskmaster? Is he a cosmic killjoy? This God, he is not safe. I am staying away from, as far away from him as I can. That's true. C.S. Lewis said in the, the Narnia series, that's true, God, he is not safe. But he is good. He is good. But if I have the heart of a son, if you have the heart of a son or a daughter, as the case may be, a daughter of the king of heaven will go where a servant never dares to tread. A woman who is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit who loves the Lord like her father, the father in truth, she will go places that another person with a servant attitude never will even entertain. Struggle, we fight to surrender our will bit by bit to the will of God. No one gets this in one go. Sometimes a mystical experience or something awesome happens, a camp high or whatever it is, that'll, that's useful. And God uses that and blesses that with us. It makes things so much lighter. And, 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 but it's not typical for all of us. Some of us, this is a hard-fought battle. And to pretend like it's not is not to be honest, I think. We struggle to hand over a little bit more of what Calvin thinks I need to manage and what I need to have. I know I'm supposed to let go of it, the will to let go of it. Sometimes this feels like prying your fingers open a little bit. It's a struggle. But we grow in that struggle. And when you fall or when you fail, don't waste your time in regret or shame, self-accusation, but begin again where you are right now. Find ways to get up and just keep going and begin again. And then surrender to the commands of God. This is also, it's, we make it harder than we need to because we want to control everything that's going on. 
We want to engineer our own spiritual walk with the Lord and to get to the greater depths of spirituality. It always comes through the gateway of surrender. That's hard for us. Let go of your need to control and humbly submit to the inner voice of love that speaks in your soul and puts inside our souls a craving for absolute purity. In one sense, holy obedience It's not hard because it's what I long for. I long for a good shepherd. I long to know the safety that he has as my shepherd. I long to know that his rod and his staff, he's going to take care of the situation. Even when I walk through a valley of death, the shadow of death, I just know he's present with me. That'll grow our obedience. See, the life that God wants us to live, it's not a burden. It's for our benefit. And it, in fact, is the easy life. 1 John 5.3 on the front of your bulletin says that uh, His commands, they're not burdensome. We always think of commands as burdensome. The commands of God, when you know the fruit of living those in your life, they're not burdensome. They're wonderful. They're for our good and for our benefit. The commands of God are only burdensome when we try to do things our own way and have God as a little add-on or a little tacked-on extra or life insurance policy. When you try to live your faith that way, yeah, the commands of God are burdensome then. If you put Jesus first in truth, it's different then. You see, the commands of God are meant to be guide rails for us, and they help us learn what healthy, what is healthy and what is not healthy. They are things to strive for, but also a standard that God expects for. He expects you to keep the commands that He gives you. But again, the commands are not the end goal. Some of us, we, as Christians, we get in a, a, a lot of trouble with all the finger pointing, you know, and judging between us. You're not keeping this command. He's given us not just a list of rules to follow. He's given us a possibility of a real and living relationship. If you know the truth of that relationship, the list of rules, that's the easy side of things. As a son of God, I keep the rules because I love my father. I love my father so much. I want to do what pleases him. That's the power to keep the rules. Is a greater love. A greater love. Another thing about obedience, to reiterate, you know, like I said, no one gets this in one go. We, as human beings, were created to grow. Growth implies learning. Growth implies making mistakes. We need to have humility to grow well. Remember I showed this picture. If you want to have what's on top, then you have to start with this. The Bormans know the truth of that. (laughs) That's what you have to start with. And that takes humility. 
See, we understand the way discipline works in almost every aspect of life. We understand it when it comes to sports. We understand it with music, with art. We understand uh, with education and processes of learning and discipline. We understand how uh, discipline works with learning language. With our jobs, you know that we get more proficient over time. Our employers and licensing organizations, they require us to do continuing education. We understand how discipline works, and we understand that fruit comes through discipline. But for some reason, when it comes to spiritual matters, matters that many of us profess to be the most important, all thought of discipline seems to go through the window. We don't think of approaching our spiritual life in terms like that. And we kind of float through our spiritual life, we kind of float through our faith, expecting to absorb some good thoughts, an occasional church attendance, and occasional involvement in this and that, and I have these warm, fuzzy Jesus feelings about this, that, or the other. And really, what is offered to us is so much greater than that. And if that's where you are now, I'm not knocking you, I'm not trying to say bad of you, but you're missing so much. You really are missing so much. So much greater. So uh, my friend Dallas Willard, he used to say that people, if they would spend a quarter of their effort on spiritual matters, that the average person spends learning how to play golf or fly fish or uh, training to run a half marathon. If they would spend a quarter of that energy in that kind of disciplined way, seeking the Lord and trying to do these things to grow in love, he says, then the land would be filled with spiritual giants. But we come to church and people think that it's the preacher's job to convince people to do things that they really don't want to do. That makes you miserable. It makes me really miserable. (laughs) We just kind of float through these church relationships and gloss over this relationship with God. And then when we approach our faith that way, we wonder why it never seems to have the power to overcome the sin in our lives or the power to undo the flaws in our character. But when we learn to love and we learn to love well, we move closer to God. When you learn to love better, it moves you closer to God because God is love. Dear friends, let us not, let us love one another. For love comes from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. This is the adventure of the lifetime that we as the children of God are invited into. To grow in that more and more, to know the implications of that more and more. So uh, to close, I just want to give you a heads up to a couple things coming this fall. As a church, we are asking this question too, as leaders of this church, how do we invest in growing in love better? Well, we have a lot of exciting things going on. One, you've maybe noticed a few new people, faces around, coming from a lot of different places, but one of these uh, faces is the face of the Sequoia Church team, 
which are Jonathan, Mackenzie, Kirk, uh, Jacobs out here for a short visit. They're um, uh, wanting to plant house churches that are going to be involved with this congregation and serve uh, alongside this congregation. So you're going to be seeing a whole lot more of them. They're under the spiritual oversight of this eldership, and we are excited about this partnership that we're going to have together. And they're going to be ex- uh, reaching out to you know, fill the gap of some of the younger people and millennials and other people who are going different directions. So they're going to be working on the University of Oregon campus, Lane Community College probably, and just wherever the Lord uh, leads. And so there'll be some exciting opportunities for uh, relationship with other people that they bring here, uh, discipleship opportunities, uh, opportunities to just share our love with other people who are going to be coming into the church who maybe don't have a lot of church experience. So that's going to be happening more this fall. Praise God for that. I'm so excited about it. It's one of the reasons I took this job in the first place. A pastoral care ministry. We have some plans. Uh, the sur- uh, questionnaire survey is just kind of a first step with that. But uh, we realize that there is a need for more visitation and hospitality in each other's lives. And actually, if you think about that and you feel a burden for that, I want to be involved in visitation more. or I want to I learn how to do this better, Calvin. And uh, I feel like I should be visiting the sick more. How do I do hospitality better? Maybe not into your home, maybe out with another people. Do we think of that as a real goal? If you have want to explore that more with me, please let me know because we're putting a team together of people who are going to be involved in that in this church, and our elders will set them aside and commission them. And I hope that good fruit comes from that. Uh, uh, we need to be in the Word more. It's so crucial. In in the day of age that we in the distractions we face, that's what we're known for in the churches of Christ. Somehow we need to bring that strength of our heritage back in more and more. And so we're kicking around ideas of how we need to do this, but we're going to be starting to do some congregational memory verses that we're going to do from the youngest to the oldest, share with each other and encourage verses that just need to be in there, that we've downloaded, that come rolling off our tongues as the Spirit directs and as opportunities come. And the way it'll affect the way we think, it'll affect a lot of things for uh, the greater glory of God. Uh, So there are also going to be opportunities for greater involvement this fall. Uh, We'll get life groups rolling again. Some have kind of met or have met in a recreational capacity this this, uh, summer. We have a lot of different connection points. Uh, Game nights, some of this is just kind of happening organically. Praise God and thank you, Lord, for that. Because all of these little connection points are just ways that he's kind of pulling us together, knitting us together. We have to have time, remember, for love to grow well. And uh, we need another adult venue, honestly, for Sunday mornings. Uh, we have the one class back there, but uh, we have a lot of, we're going to have a younger adult class. I don't know if we'll meet here or we'll, we'll find the space for it, but we're going to have some options for that this fall. We'll, we'll invite you, if you've not been involved in coming to a Sunday morning class because you didn't really find one that you had value, there's going to be new things coming this fall. Uh, which I think are going to be really good. Maybe the Sequoia team will be helping some. Uh, Jonathan, McKenzie, and Kirk will help some with that. Um, we have another one talking about in the works about personal finance, and we'll find topics and issues to do this well together. All right, so enough about that. As we learn to love better, 
we are becoming the China church that God wants us to be. And I don't know where you are and where this sermon strikes you. I don't know what your needs are. But we want to learn how to help each other do that. So whatever your needs are, we want to invite you to come forward as we stand and sing. Uh, Whatever your needs are to put on the Lord in baptism, um, for the prayers of this church to carry some burden, whatever. Uh, I'm going to stand up front here. If you want to talk, come forward and talk to me about those things. Uh, we'll, We'll work on those things together. This is a loving church. We're trying to get better at it too. And by God's grace, we are going places for his glory. Let's uh, stand and sing together.